Welcome, everyone, uh, to Mosaic. And we have some uh, newcomers here who are here for the very first time. We just want to say welcome. Uh, we hope that this is a time of connection with God, and you can meet some of us, and you could um, understand a little bit of where we're from, and we can understand a little bit of where you're from. Welcome. And everyone who is on Zoom and worshiping on YouTube, I just want to say good morning and uh, welcome to our Sabbath worship. We're continuing in James 2, so if you want to get out your Bibles, uh, we're going to be reading uh, James 2 from verse 14. Um, if you want to get your Bibles, it's also going to be on the screen um, if you need it. And so James 2, uh, verse 14, we'll be reading from 14 to 26. Okay. Here's the word of God from James 2. What good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Um, today's message is called uh, Gospel Activated Works. Gospel Activated Works. And before we get into it, I just want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are here for all of your labor of love for your family. I hope that today's a day of um, joy and congratulations and thank you and gratitude. I hope that uh, today's a day where you're recognized and seen for all the things that you do. Um, I'm actually right now in the market for a used car, and I've been looking for a used car, and I'm just looking for something that is cheap but reliable um, at the same time. But kind of what I'm finding out is that cheap and reliable don't always go together, right? So I'm trying to figure out uh, what's a cheap car um, that I can buy that will be reliable, but it's been really tough. Uh, last week, I went to a used car lot, and there was this Hyundai that I was looking at, kind of old Hyundai, and um, I opened up the hood, uh, you know, as a car salesman was right next to me, and I was looking under the hood and looking at the engine running, and I was thinking to myself, what am I looking for? <laughs> I don't know anything about cars. I had to ask Pastor Yosef for help because he knows a lot more about cars than I do, and I had no idea what I was looking for. And I was just like pretending that I knew what I was looking at as the car salesman was staring at me looking at the engine. What are we looking for? You know, how do I even check if this car is reliable? I'm having a hard time figuring out what kind of car to buy and how to even check if something is reliable. James, in our passage today, um, is asking that same question, not of cars, um, but of faith. 
How do you look under the hood of your faith? How do you check your faith? How do you figure out if you have a genuine, authentic faith? And how do you know if you have a dud? That's the question that he's asking here in James 2. How do you know if faith is justified? Um, Today, he gives us a test for looking under the hood of your faith. And the test that he gives us is not the only test in the Bible, but it's a very, very important test in the Bible. I want to say that again. It's not the only test in the Bible, but it's a really, really important test um, that we get in the Bible. And the test is this. Do you have works? Do you have works? Does your faith produce works? That is a, a test to see if it's authentic. And brothers and sisters, I think this is a really important test um, in our day today because as the way that Christianity is being perceived in the world is shifting and we've no longer uh, held the position of moral majority, but now we're entering into the period where we're holding the moral minority, as Christianity is not only being uh, looked at as kind of an institution of our nation, but in some circles, Christianity is seen as not compassionate. Christianity is seen as narrow, bigoted, closed-minded, narrow-minded. This is kind of what's happening in a lot of the circles um, in regards to Christianity. I think that today's test is very, very important because I think that in many ways the world is asking, I see that you have faith, but where is your works? I see that the church, you guys have faith, but how does that benefit the world? How does that help us? I see your faith, but you don't have works. And therefore, it's dead to me. I think this is a very important test for our faith today as the world starts to shift. And so today, I want to take a look at this with you and deep dive into James 2. And we're going to see two things. We're going to see that works is a test of our faith, but it's also a command of our faith. It's a test of our faith and command of our faith. And by looking at those two things, I think that it will also galvanize your faith and your witness in this world as James reminds us Faith without works, it's indeed dead. Let's bow our heads together and let's ask God's help as we look into this passage. Father, this is a a tough passage. It says some things that makes us uncomfortable. It says some things that confuses us a little bit. And Father, uh, more than what a man says at a pulpit, I pray that you would send your spirit to make it clear in our hearts why you wrote this. The Spirit wrote this with the Spirit's fingers through the works of men. And I pray that you would help us to understand your heart in this passage. And I pray that it would help us in the way that we live. So we invite you to be a part of the sermon and that we invite you to be the main speaker and that you would speak into our hearts as we listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing that we see in this passage um, is that works is a, is a test of our faith. If you read verse 14 again, um, this is what James writes. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? He asks a really interesting question, and the question is, what good is it? What good is it? Now, the question is, what does it mean? What does he mean by what good is it? I think that when he's asking that question of our faith, he means two things. The first thing, what he means by good is, is it authentic? What value does it hold? Is it real? Last week, I asked you guys, um, have you ever heard of a purple cow? Um, this week, I want to ask you, have you ever heard of a blue strawberry? 
a blue strawberry. I'm 100% serious. There's something being sold online. Blue strawberries, they're being sold online. And the seeds, you can buy them, and they're supposed to produce these blue strawberries. And the seeds are a lot more expensive than normal strawberry seeds, but you could go online and you could buy these and they'll ship them to your house. Blue strawberries. The problem, of course, the catch is there's no such thing as blue strawberries. It's a total scam. Uh, it's fake. Blue strawberries don't exist. Um, but what's happening is people are photoshopping pictures of strawberries and, and uh, putting blue strawberries up and selling it as kind of this novelty item. And then the people who purchase it, these customers who order it, they can't authenticate that this is not blue strawberries until it begins to bear fruit, if it even does that. And then after the strawberry starts to grow, they say, hey, what is this? It's supposed to be blue. That's the whole reason I paid such a premium for this. It's supposed to be blue. And then they find out that they were scammed. Um, there's no such thing as blue strawberries. But the only way to authenticate it is by the fruit. You can't look at the seeds and see whether it's blue or red. You can only tell by its fruit. What James is saying here when he asks, what good is it? is he's asking, is it legit? Is it legit faith if the faith doesn't produce works? Or is it blue strawberries? Is it a scam when you think that it's real faith, but when you try to authenticate it by looking at the fruit, you realize it's not really real? You see, James is saying that real faith must produce works. It has to go from your head to your hands, and if it doesn't go from your head to your hands, guess what? You have blue strawberry faith. It has to go from your head to your hands. It has to produce works in the way that you live where you don't actually have a gospel-activated faith. I think this is something that's really challenging for us in the West and especially in the Northeast. It's challenged because in our areas, oftentimes intellectualism is so important to us, right? And it's how we validate our faith in a lot of ways. So we think the more that you know about faith, the more saved you are. And James is saying, you guys are off. Let's look at verse 18 and 19. This is James calling out this kind of thinking that if I have theology or if I have uh, knowledge, then I have faith and strong faith. Read verse 18 and 19. He says, someone will say to me, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. That's theology, right? You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. He's calling out this idea that we believe that we are saved by our theology, by what we can recite, by what we can repeat, what, what we can regurgitate. We, if we believe that we are saved by knowledge alone, James is calling us out and saying, guess what? The demons have better theology than you. The demons can lead a Bible study that would blow you away, coming from centuries of knowledge of God, centuries of deep study in the human beings. They could lead a Bible study that would blow your mind. But their works betray them. Their works betray them. Their works show that they may have knowledge, but they don't have real faith. James is saying, check your faith if it's counterfeit. If it's just knowledge then it's not real, it's not authentic. It must produce something or you have blue strawberries. 
That's kind of the first sense of what he means by good. The second sense by which he means by good, and you can't escape it in this passage, is what he means is what good is it, as in what good does it do for other people in your life? What good does that faith do for others in your life? Does it help other people? And to kind of get at this, he kind of brings up this um, hypothetical situation that he creates, and James likes to do this in verse 15. He creates a hypothetical situation where you see that this kind of faith doesn't help anybody. Read verse 15 um, to 17 with me. He says this, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Now, there, when he says, what good is that, he's not saying, is it authentic? But he's saying, does it help that person? He says, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He talks about a situation where um, a brother or sister doesn't have enough money to have enough clothes and is cold or is hungry. And a Christian brother says, Oh, I'll pray for you. Right? I'll pray for you. Good luck. Right? And he's saying, what good is that to that person who's hungry and is cold? That's blue strawberry faith. It doesn't do any good for the person who needs you in that moment. Remember in James 1, this is how James um, identifies real faith. He says, true religion True religion, which is holy before God, is this. It takes care of widows and orphans. Real faith takes care of widows and orphans. You see, he says that true faith does not turn a blind eye to people who are in need. It can't do that. This is a test. This is a test for our faith, a way to look under the hood of our faith to see if we have real faith or not. We should ask ourselves the question today, what difference does my faith make to those who are in need around me? To the people who are in need around me, what difference does my faith make to them? Would it make any difference to your friends, your family, your neighbors or coworkers? Would it make any difference to them if you were not a Christian? Would they be helped no less, no more? You see, sometimes we try to figure out if somebody is a Christian by asking, what do you believe? Are you a Christian? James says, well, maybe we should ask the people who live around them. Do you think that they're really a Christian? It's a test for authenticating our faith. And the reason that real faith helps people is that the gospel, when it's implanted into our hearts, it activates when people in need come around us. In um, our, our stories and movies and fictions, we have this kind of idea of a sleeper agent. Um, if you've read The Manchurian Candidate, um, or if you watched, you guys remember Demolition Man, Sylvester Stallone, remember? It was just on TV the other day, and uh, Wesley Snipes, he's a sleeper agent, right? A sleeper agent is this idea where you have this spy or kind of this agent who um, is not activated. He kind of doesn't know what he's supposed to do, but then there's something that triggers the spy, something that triggers the agent, and all of a sudden they come into action, right? If you guys have been watching the Marvel movies, the Winter Soldier is like this, right? There's a string of words that awakens the Winter Soldier into action. He's a sleeper agent. He's asleep, but then he wakes up when they're triggered, right? We have this idea of a sleeper agent in our stories. 
What the gospel does to us is it makes us sleeper agents. You see, the gospel is implanted in us that we were dead in our transgressions, and by God's mercy, we have been rescued. And when we had no way out of our need, we had no way to dig ourselves out, God saved us by his mercy and grace. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus plants that into our hearts. And then he leads us to people in need. And when we come in contact with people in need, we wake up. We are activated like sleeper agents because when we see need, we see, that's me. That's what I am like. He looks exactly like me. She looks exactly like me in need with no way out. And we're sleeper agents that the gospel activates when we come into contact with people who are in need. You see, James says, does that happen to you? When you come in contact with people who are in need, does something activate in you and the gospel awakens in you and you can relate to the person in need? It's a test for your faith. He says, if it doesn't happen to you, if there's nothing in your heart that activates when you see somebody in need of mercy and you don't extend mercy, there's nothing that wakes up inside of you when you see someone who is in need, you have to check under the hood. Something is off. Because a gospel-activated Christian is a sleeper agent, and when they come in contact with people in need, something activates in them, a gospel-activated faith. On a side note, that means that if you have a Christian in your life, if a Christian is your neighbor, or if a Christian is your coworker, or if a Christian is your family member, that means you're in a place of great blessing. You're in a position of great blessing because you have somebody in your life where when you are going through suffering, they are awakened to help and love you. It's a great blessing to have a Christian in your life. That's why God says to Abraham, your descendants are going to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. My question to you, brother and sister, would the people in your life say, I'm so glad that they are Christian because in my life, I have eaten the fruit of their faith. Gospel-activated faith. That's a test for if we're true believers or not. Faith without works is dead he says. And if we don't have works, we have to check under the hood. But secondly, not only is our passage here a test for our faith, but it's also a spur for our faith. You guys know what a spur is? A spur um, is, if you guys kind of picture a cowboy boots, on the back of the cowboy boots, you have that circular thing that has spikes, and the thing is for kicking the horse. So when the horse feels the spur, the horse runs, is compelled to move. This passage is not only a test for our faith, but it's also a spur. It's supposed to spur us on towards loving good deeds. You see, if we only see this passage as a test, then it can induce anxiety unnecessarily. You see, if we see this only as a test for us, then we look at this and we say, oh my gosh, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? That's not the result that James is looking for with this passage. He's not trying to make you anxious in this passage, right? If you are a child of God, his aim is not to just make you anxious and worried about whether you're saved or not. It's not just a test for our faith, but it's a command towards good works. It's something that's supposed to spur us on towards loving good deeds. 
And I think that this is such an important, timely word in the midst of COVID-19. You know, COVID and quarantine has put us, a lot of us, into a place of spiritual malaise, where our, our works are not really coming out during quarantine. And we've entered into this time where our, our kind of Christian works have gone under the spell. And today, brothers and sisters, he's spurring you on towards loving good deeds. Remember James 1, verse 22, how he starts this section. He says what? In James 1, verse 22, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. And he's calling us to that today. Are you doing what faith calls you to? This week, I... Um, I read John 5 with a couple of my disciples, and John 5 uh, shows us a picture of this man who's an invalid, and he's been waiting at the pool of Bethsaida for 38 years. 38 years he's been waiting there. And he has faith in this pool, that this pool, if he goes inside of it, it's going to heal him. But 38 years he's been lying there, and he hasn't gone to the pool. He's only been waiting there and lying there the whole time. And so Jesus walks up to him, and Jesus asks him, do you really want to get well? Do you really want to get well? And I think a part of that question is, do you really have faith? Because 38 years you've been lying here and you haven't done anything. Do you really want to get well? Or do you just feel safe in proximity to the pool? I think, brothers and sisters, today, James 2 is challenging us in the midst of COVID-19. Be challenged and be commanded to good works. Husbands and fathers, I want to challenge you today, and I'm, cha I'm talking to myself as well. Husbands and fathers, a lot of us say we want to lead our households in faith, but we're so busy and we don't have enough time with our families, and so we don't have time to pray with them and do worship, and we just can't manage because we don't have the time. During COVID, we've spent more time with our families than ever before. And yet, I wonder how many of us say we want faith in our homes, but haven't actually taken the steps to let those words of faith bring faith into our homes in action. Have you been activated by your family's need? As you sense your family's spiritual need, are you awakened to works? Because faith without works is dead. Wives, mothers, I want to challenge you. I don't know a single woman that I have counseled who doesn't say, I want my husband to be a spiritual leader in the home. And yet, very, very often, our wives, they don't build the confidence that husbands need to lead in the home. Oftentimes, there's little encouragement to help the husband to become the leader that he needs to be. And the husband experiences a lot of shame because he hasn't done a very good job. And sometimes the wife perpetuates that. My sisters, do you want your husband to be the leader in the home that you've always dreamed that he would be? Encourage him. Build him up. Help to remove the shame that he's experiencing from being a failure for all the years you've been married. Build him up. 
Let your faith produce works to bring encouragement to your husband. Singles. Today the word challenges singles as well. Has not God put you in these relationships with people of spiritual need? You know, oftentimes um, single people say, you know, I want to be in a community that builds me up spiritually. I don't want to just have friends and I don't want to just have coffee and go to the movies, but I want a spiritual community that actually invests in each other and builds one another up. I'm looking for that. I'm going from church to church to church to church, looking for that kind of community. And yet often, we aren't building it. We're just looking for it. But I want to tell you that the Lord is commanding you today, faith without works is dead. You want to go look for a finished product church? Build it up. Let your faith produce the works of faith. He's calling you in this season. Build up the community. You begin to invest spiritually into others. Don't be a customer of a church. Customers kill churches. But let your faith produce works. Brothers and sisters, today, the Lord is not only giving us a test for our faith, but he's giving us a spur, encouraging us to let the works come out of our faith. And I know the quarantine has been tough, and it's been difficult to see your works come through in the time of quarantine. My, uh, my friend posted on Facebook a picture of a concrete parking block. You guys know what parking blocks are? When you park in a spot, you know there's that concrete thing in the front that makes sure your car doesn't go over it? He, picked, he posted a picture of a concrete parking block, and the parking block is, is suffocating all of the grass and the weeds and the plants that are underneath the parking block. But then, one of the plants pushes through. You know the parking blocks? They have two holes in them where you nail it down. There was a plant that was pushing through that hole in the parking block, and he posted a picture of that, and he wrote, life finds a way. Life finds a way. I think that James, in a lot of ways, is saying that. You know, COVID-19 has been like that parking block on your spiritual life. A concrete slab, pushing down on your works. But James today, he writes to us, my brothers and sisters, if you have living faith, if you have gospel-activated faith, living faith finds a way to produce works. Living faith finds a way to bless people in your life, even though it's COVID-19. Because living faith will not remain dead. It will be activated always by the gospel. So before I close, I want to remind you of the gospel. This gospel is the only thing that will bring to life works in your life. This is the only thing. You can't guilt yourself into it. You can't read James 2 and feel guilty. Last night I had, last night I had a fight with my wife. Um, and this morning as I was praying over the sermon, I felt real guilty, you know, that part about husbands, and uh, yeah, I was, I felt very uh, guilty that I was about to say this in the sermon, 
and I had not loved my wife the way that she needed to be loved. And I felt bad. Um, but as I was praying this morning, I realized that that guilt, it's not going to produce works. It's just not. Not in a sustainable, loving, gospel way. The only thing that will produce the works that's necessary for my house is for me today to be reminded of the gospel and love and mercy of Jesus Christ because that's what's going to activate me as a husband and a father. That's what's going to activate me towards love and good works. In Matthew 8, there's a leper who comes to Jesus who's in need. And he asks for help, and he asks for healing in a really unique way. He doesn't say, Jesus, help me. But he says something very interesting in the Greek. He says, if you will, you will make me clean. If you will, I will be clean. And that word will, it doesn't mean like we say in the English. It just doesn't mean I'm going to or you're going to. What will, what he means by that is that if it's your heart's desire, I will be clean. It's a very profound way to ask for healing, right? He's saying, if I am in your heart, if in your heart you desire me to be clean, I don't even have to ask. I will be clean by the end of this conversation. Isn't that tremendous faith? He says, if I am your desire, if me being clean is what you really want, then I will be clean. And Jesus responds by looking in his eye and saying, I will be clean. And that doesn't mean I'm going to heal you, be clean. It means you are my heart's desire. My deepest heart desire is to see you clean, is to extend mercy to you. I will be clean. In this intimate conversation, they have this profound exchange of just a few words. Will. And Jesus' will goes from his heart to his hands. And in a very unique movement, he touches the leper and he heals him. My brother, my sister, we have to be reminded that that's our story. That when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus could not even wait. Do you guys remember when the, the, the friends dropped um, their friend, the paralyzed friend, through the roof? And Jesus doesn't even wait to figure out what they want. He just moves towards the paralyzed man and heals. He doesn't even wait to do that. And in the same way, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus did not wait for you to go to a retreat and confess your sins. Jesus did not wait until you gave your life to him. But even before you were born, from all eternity, Jesus had decided that he would not wait on you to extend mercy to you. But from heaven, he wiped away his tears as he had mercy on you. He came down out of heaven. He took on flesh. And he was nailed to the cross so that you could be forgiven, healed, saved out of a hopeless situation. That's our story, and that's also the heart that we inherit when we become Christians. That's what James is saying. 
You see, James is saying, if you say that you have a heart of faith, but you don't move out into action, James is saying, I don't know what kind of Messiah you believe in. I don't know who your God is, because the heart that Christians inherit is the heart of Jesus, someone whose faith always moves from the heart to his hands and always moves out in mercy. So if you say that you have a faith that doesn't produce works, I'm sorry. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. And a faith in Jesus moves his children out into acts of mercy, kindness, and good deeds. And so if you have a faith that doesn't produce works, I'm sorry, but that's dead. A faith in Jesus will always move us out because we're all sleeper agents of the gospel. And when the gospel is activated in us and we come in contact with those in need, we must act. Our faith always produces works. And so, my brothers and sisters, I want to close by asking you this question. Who has God led you to in this time for you to extend mercy and your works towards? Because there's always people in in our lives like that. Jesus says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And then we say, okay, we'll follow you. And then he always leads us to those who are in need. He implants the gospel in you, makes you a sleeper agent, and then surrounds you with people who need your works. Who is it? Who is it in your life that he has led you to? Let your works be good to them. Let it be good to them and live out your faith through your works. Let's pray together as we um, prepare to respond. And as you bow your heads to pray, I just want to push that question into your heart. Who is it that the Lord is extending mercy through you to? I know it's COVID, I know that it's quarantine, I know everything is hard, I know there's a parking block on top of your faith, but who is the Lord calling your faith to move out into action for? Before you pray, I just want you to take a minute and to pray and to think about that, and then we'll pray. Let's, let's take some time and ask, Lord, who are you moving me towards in love and good deeds? Let's take a moment with our Lord and ask him that question. some faces on your heart, some names on your heart. And now I ask you, go to the Father who gave you this gospel in your heart. Say, Lord, activate me. Let my faith produce works. Let me do good to those you've put on my heart. Let's go and ask the Lord to authenticate our faith by moving us towards works 
and good deeds. Um, let's go to him in prayer together. convicted. Father, I pray that this conviction would lead to the gospel and not just to guilt. Guilt will not produce the righteousness of God. Anger will not produce the righteousness of God. The mercy of the gospel will change our hearts. Forgive me, oh God, for the way that my faith has not produced works. Forgive me, for knowing way too much and doing way too little. And I pray, O oh God, that you would move us out now towards loving good deeds, to do the simple acts of love that we know that you have called us towards, and to do them with great faith. Won't you activate our faith to acts of mercy? so that people will be glad that Jesus is in our lives. So, Father, I pray, uh, move us to be those who bless through the works, the fruits of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise and let's respond to God um, in the song of praise.